Some things just sound like summertime, don't they? Uh, I realize the soundtrack is different for, for each of us, but I think the fact of it is universal. Certain sounds, music, cicadas, or water splashing in a pool, they evoke within us nostalgia for summer's past, even as they make it clear that, well, this summer is really here. Maybe not quite as palpable a reminder as that good old Lancaster County humidity, but a much more pleasant one, leaving us wistful and even hopeful, aware as we so seldom are that we really are creatures in time, inhabiting both the past and the present and the future too. This is going to be more of a rumination, um, maybe even a ramble than a sermon, Um, so I'll just admit that from the start, but it's a holiday, right? Uh, The 4th of July, in fact, and so if nothing else, that gives us permission, if we need it, to relax just a bit from all the usual formalities, to kick back figuratively, if not in fact, to set up the lawn chairs of our spirits and sip a cold glass of iced tea and wait for the fireworks to begin. So here's to you. Uh, the fact that this national holiday falls on a Sunday got me reminiscing about summer's past, remembering the things that I used to believe and feel with all my heart, looking back to my childhood and taking stock a bit of, of how much different America seems to me now, uh, dragging those old CDs out and listening to the sounds of summertime. I was born in the USA, Warren, Pennsylvania to be precise. I was named after the doctor who delivered me, a fact that strikes me as odd, but (laughs) there's nothing I can do about it now, right? Um, In those days, Warren, Pennsylvania uh, housed a state psychiatric hospital where both of my parents worked, and my dad was also the pastor of the local Assemblies of God Church. And the year I was born, they tell me, a homicidal patient escaped and roamed the community for a while, sneaking through backyards and causing everybody to double-check the locks in their doors. He was eventually caught and returned to treatment. I'm not sure why my folks thought it was good for me to know that. My memory is, um, is spotty. It always has been. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's some sort of brain dysfunction, a, a kind of memory thermostat that shuts things off when it's reached capacity, or a disc cleaner that periodically deletes items that haven't been used for a while. Maybe there are things I just don't want to remember, not for any Freudian reasons, but just because they didn't interest me enough to hang on to them. In any case, my memories of childhood are spotty and form a sort of mental checks mix, um, combining the bland and the healthy with the truly delicious and then, you know, those things that we all kind of prefer to just leave in the bottom of the bowl. There was this place called Candy Lane. I'm really not sure what it was exactly. I think it was a fancy candy store. I do remember this gigantic candy cane, peppermint candy cane out front, kind of like a barber's pole that had been curled over at the top. I really don't remember much more than that, but the name is so wonderful, so magical, that I've kept hold of it all these years, like like Hansel and Gretel without the, the mean old witch. Candy Lane. I remember sitting in a big hole one day um, in the ground with my friend Molly. Uh, It was probably in second grade or so, before the age when it became unthinkable to hang out with girls. Molly was what used to be called a tomboy. She had long brown hair. I don't remember a whole lot else except for the kiss. I do remember, at least in my memory, her breath smelled a bit like sweet corn. And... (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that means something. Um, 
I do remember that she could be as adventurous and wild as any of the rest of us, all scabby knees and grubby neck. There were the middle school years, um, Haverstraw, New York. Those years are more clear to me probably because they were the years that things really began, began coming apart. Uh, Vietnam was in full swing. Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy were both killed in one fevered season. There were riots and cities being burned, protesters being shot, college campuses being disrupted. And in our house, my parents' marriage began to disintegrate. That's also when I started listening to the radio. My older sister had introduced me to rock and roll, although of an exceedingly tame kind. This diamond ring doesn't shine for me anymore. Please. But now I have my own portable transistor radio, and you parents are going to have to translate that to your children. Um, I heard the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Creedence Clearwater Revival, the Beach Boys. I vividly remember riding in a Thunderbird convertible driven by a family friend, listening to Help Me Rhonda, help me get her out of my heart. I listened to other less exalted stuff, too, and to be honest, at the time, I probably preferred some of the one-hit wonders to what would eventually make up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sugar, ah, honey, honey. In the year 2525, if man is still alive, daydream believer. Bad as those, those songs are, they still occupy a place in my memory and in my heart. They remind me, I suppose, of my own innocence, the years before I realized how complex the world really was. Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin, Marshal Matt Dillon, and Ben and Haas and little Joe Cartwright. Danger Will Robinson. Daniel Boone was a man. Yes, a big man. We had heroes in those days, my friends and I. Strong white men, all of them. And their hats were white, too. And the bad guys were easy to identify. They tended not to shave. Their English was accented. Their hats were black. Now, looking back, I can see all that was wrong with that. But in those days, such simple caricatures relayed the message that the world was clearly divided between the good and the bad and that the good would always win out in the end, maybe only after being scuffed up and bruised and even maybe cut up a little bit. But in the end, the good always prevailed. Pleasures were simple, too. Riding a bike as fast as the wind, playing baseball all day long every day, playing war in that patch of trees across from the apartment complex, holding hands with the girl down the street, drinking ice-cold orange crush right from the glass bottle, going to the corner store for the latest issue of Metal Men and being thrilled by finding it in the rack, fishing with a stick and a piece of line in the filthy waters of the Hudson River, going to the carnival every summer and becoming intoxicated by the sounds and smells of summer, of freedom, of a childhood unfinished, watching the fireworks on the 4th of July, and then going back the next day and looking for duds and misfires and then trying to get them to go off without losing a finger in the process. All these things come to mind when I hear a song like Looking Out My Back Door. That song and others do just that. They open up a back door, the door to my past, And they give me the chance for just a moment to remember the magic of being a child, the wonder, the innocent pleasures of my youth. There are other things back there, to be sure, things lurking back there in the shadows. 
things I choose not to explore in the moment, focusing instead on all the happy creatures dancing on the lawn, on the elephant playing in the band and taking a ride in the flying spoon, doot and doot doot. In those days, I never would have thought about what the proper relationship should be between a follow, being a follower of Jesus and a citizen of the nation-state. In fact, I never thought about what it meant to be born in the USA, to live in the richest and most powerful nation on the planet. And besides, we were the good guys. Everybody knew it, except for the commies, of course, with their bald leader with his shoe off banging on the podium. To me, it was as natural as breathing to believe in all the myths and tall tales about America. I mean, why wouldn't I? And to be honest, I'm sort of grateful that I was so innocent, that some innocence was available to me, that I could simply be an American, that I could stand with Davy Crockett at the Alamo or General Grant at Shiloh or Napoleon Solo in some foreign land and face down the enemies of freedom and so, like Superman, preserve truth, justice in the American way. I suppose it seems heretical to say it, but I'm glad for the those innocent years. Robert McCammon's Boy's Life is a lovely novel that describes one formative summer in the life of a boy named Corey. Uh, that summer is the one in which Corey is still young enough and innocent enough to believe in magic and to see wonders and to inhabit those thin spaces that separate fact from fantasy. But it's also the summer when Corey begins to make the transition from the magical world of childhood to the world of adulthood, a world where all that used to be magical is explained and all that was wonderful is mundane and those thin spaces are disappearing so quickly that you don't even know what's happening until they're gone. McCammon writes, and I'm going to quote a little bit here, I was born and raised in a magic time in a magic town among magicians. Almost everybody else didn't realize we lived in that web of magic connected by the silver filaments of chance and circumstance, but I knew it all along. You probably did too, you just don't recall it. See, this is my opinion. We all start out knowing magic. We're born with whirlwinds, forest fires, and comets inside us. We're born able to sing to birds and read the clouds and see our destiny in grains of sand. But then we get the magic educated right out of our souls. We get it churched out, spanked out, washed out, and combed out. We get put on the straight and narrow and told to be responsible, told to act our age, told to grow up. After you go so far away from it, though, you can't really get it back. You can have seconds of it, just seconds of knowing and remembering. When people get weepy at the movies, it's because in that dark theater, the golden pool of magic is touched just briefly. And then they come out into the hard sun of logic and reason again, and it dries up, and they're left feeling a little heart sad and not knowing why. When a song stirs a memory, when motes of dust turning in a shaft of light take your attention from the world, when you listen to a train passing on a track at night in the distance and wonder where it's going, you step beyond what you are and where you are, and for the briefest of instants, you've stepped into the magic realm. The truth of life is that every year we get farther away from the essence that is born within us. We get shouldered with burdens, some of them good, some of them not so good. Things happen to us. Loved ones die. People get in wrecks and get crippled. People lose their way for one reason or another. It's not hard to do in this world of crazy mazes. Life itself does its best to take that memory of magic away from us. You don't know what's happening until one day you've, you feel you've lost something, but you're not sure what it is. It's like smiling at a pretty girl, and she calls you sir. 
just happens. These memories of who I was and where I lived are important to me. They make up a large part of who I'm going to be when my journey winds down. I need the memory of magic if I'm ever going to conjure magic again. I need to know and remember, and I want to tell you." End quote. I guess what motivates this Fourth of July ramble is my own search for a way back to my childhood love for America. Not to pick it up again, but to see it in light of my current far more complicated feelings for country. To look back to those magical days of good and bad and right and wrong and the very clear lines that separated them from each other. From the perspective of this much grayer, more blurry present. To look back and try to make sense of it all, the past and the present and the ties that bind them. Because, as McCammon says, whatever I am today, whatever I will one day become, is shaped in some measure by those magical childhood years, which were for me days of uncomplicated, unquestioning love for America. Not all that happened then was good and rosy and sweet. There was much pain, much confusion, much that was just plain wrong, both in my own little world and in the much larger world around me. Those were not the good old days, not at all, and I don't want to go back there. But I do sometimes wish I could catch just a glimpse of that old childhood magic, that sense of wonder, of things being larger than life and at the same time smaller, more manageable, clearer and brighter, and every day something new to grab your attention and hold it for a moment, like a firefly cupped in the hand for a breath before letting it go, or an exploding firework that burns bright for an instant before disappearing into the nighttime sky. I suppose the shedding of wonder is a good thing, an adaptive thing, a necessary step in the way to adulthood. There's some hard truths we have to learn if we're to make it in the world, some hard things we have to figure out and recognize for what they are. And some of the hardest to learn, I think, are those that are related to our place in this USA. If we're paying attention at all, we quickly realize that so much of what we were told about our country and its history are little more than myths, fairy tales, fables meant to teach us to love and to obey. We learn that much that we hold dear came with a high cost, and that that cost was often paid by others, people who in former times were, for, were kept safely out of sight, but now are just a mouse click away. We realize that while we led safe and reasonably happy lives, the lives of others were much more grim, and that much of what made us feel safe oppressed and harmed and ruined others. We came, in other words, to an awareness of the presence of evil in the world, evil that extended beyond the personal and into the institutional, the corporate, the principalities and powers of this world. And along the way, some of us lost the ability to love this place the way we used to. Or perhaps more accurately, whatever love we feel is tempered by our awareness of the other side of our history, the parts kept hidden from us when we were young, but now on full display for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Our country is, in many ways, now foreign to us, a strange and often unwelcoming place, a place in which we have become uncomfortable, where we no longer feel entirely at home. And this, too, is a good but hard thing. We are, after all, a pilgrim people, a people in exile, belonging to one kingdom and inhabiting another, often feeling caught between the demands of the two, demands which are often as different as night and day. We may even envy our sisters and brothers who seem unaware of or undisturbed by the contradictions that seem so plain to us. They seem to have been spared the hard stuff 
and so are free to embrace the flag and the cross in both arms and have no problem carrying the two together. Ours is the harder path, I think, and I, and I say that without any sense of self-congratulation. It's, it's just the simple fact of it. We Mennonites have, throughout our history, chosen the harder way. We've not always been successful on that way. We've often wandered off. But if we look back, I think we can see a pretty straight line from then to now, a line that seeks to find its way somewhere between love for the land of our birth and skepticism of its purposes, between feeling like we belong here and like this world is not our home, between what we wish were true about America and what we wish were not true. We have our own stories now, in other words, family stories, which help us counter the stories we learned in school, help us judge them more rightly. Family stories that comfort us when the path seems hard. Family stories that challenge us to keep walking that thin line. Well, the good news in all of this is what we hear from Luke's gospel this morning. Jesus sends out the 70 and tells them how to go and how to behave and what to say. His instructions are not naive. Jesus knows full well that while many will welcome his friends in their message, others will not. But the message he gives them is essentially the same. To those who welcome the apostles, the word is, the kingdom of God has come near to you. To those who do not offer that welcome, the word is, the kingdom of God has come near. And there are other words to be spoken by the apostles, words of gratitude and peace on the one hand, words of rebuke on the other. But the essential message to both those who welcome it and those who do not is, the kingdom of God has come near. To those who welcome it, the kingdom comes close to them in ways that they can recognize and celebrate, participate in. To those who resist or refuse it, the kingdom comes anyway. Whether they like it or not, God is coming their way, our way, and God is coming near to all. Ready or not, the kingdom comes. Which offers us some help, I think, as we try to navigate this in-between space, somewhere between feeling right at home in America and feeling like we don't belong here at all. The kingdom of God has come near. And that's good news for those of us who still feel a deep love for this country or who once felt such love or for those who, like me, never knew there was any other way to feel once upon a time and can sometimes feel nostalgic for those former feelings. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has come near to this place that we love. And that's good news because the same transformation that happened in us as we caught our first glimpse of that kingdom, that same transformation is promised to America. We can likely argue, in fact, I know we can, about what just needs to be transformed and what that transformation will look like. But the news from Jesus this morning is clear. The kingdom of God has come near. And that's good news for those of us who struggle to find any warmth in our hearts at all for this country. Folks who believe that we're on the wrong side of almost everything. Folks who wonder if there's anything to celebrate today. The kingdom of God is come near to this place from which we feel alienated. And that's good news. Because the same transformation that happened in us when we caught our first glimpse of the kingdom, that same transformation is promised to America. And again, we can argue 
So the day is done about just what needs to be transformed and what a transformed America might look like. But the news from Jesus is clear. The kingdom of God has come near. Well, I told you at the beginning that this was going to be more of a ramble than a sermon. But even rambles need to end with good news. No matter what feelings are evoked in us on this 4th of July, 2010, the good news is that the kingdom of God has come near. And you're allowed to say amen to that. The kingdom of God has come near, near to those of us who welcome its coming and near to those who want nothing at all to do with it. Ready or not, ready or not, the kingdom comes. And that's good news, good enough news to end the ramble on. But since it's a holiday... How about one more old song that sounds just like summertime, to me at least. Happy Fourth of July, sisters and brothers. <laughs>